Well, in Itasca, Texas, this was back before World War II, there was, in this town, there was a fire that happened in their school building, and it caused quite the tragedy uh, for this entire town. There were actually 263 children that lost their lives in this fire. And it was a huge moment for this town. The town's only about 1,500 people. And as you can imagine, it was devastating to see this entire community. Um, there wasn't anybody that wasn't affected by this. And so all through the war then, they were unable to rebuild their school building. And so they just kind of met where they could. And then after the war was over, they began to, the town began to grow, and they decided it's time we're going to rebuild this school, and they decided that they would do this bigger and better. They would make sure that nothing like this would ever happen again. And so they installed what they, they quote as the finest sprinkler system in the world. So they went above and beyond, and they just put in the best system that they could possibly find. And then as the town began to grow and they got the school put up and families would come to visit the town and check out the school, it was the thing that they would brag about, the thing that they would promote to say, this happened and it will never happen again because we have the finest sprinkler system in the world. It's so, so safe. And the town would grow and grow and people kept coming. And I say that the town's still 1,500 people. But for them, it was growing. And as it, as it grew, they actually realized they were going to have to add on to the school. And so they actually put an addition onto the school. And when they put that on, there was kind of this startling moment when they realized the sprinkler system had never actually been attached to water. So they did all this work and bragging about it for years to find out there, it would have never been useful. It was completely without power. So as we look at this, this series, Masterpiece in Progress, we're looking at the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you want to turn to the book of Ephesians or your Bible app, you can turn there. But as we're looking at this, we've, we've been invited to this great relationship with the God of the universe, the, the one that's created everything with just words. And then we're invited into that relationship and we can grow in that knowledge. But if that knowledge stays only as knowledge, it's, it's really like we've never been connected to this great power to save. We actually have to be connected. So we're going to be looking at what, what we need to realize that what we are when we are in Christ and what does that require of us. Because what God has said, we need to actually then put into action. It needs to be, have the power behind it. So last week, Dave kind of talked about that the, as God's masterpiece, we are chosen, we are redeemed, and we are sealed when we are in Christ. And so all last week, this whole passage, it really was, um, it's all one big run-on sentence. Like this would have been my kind of schoolwork growing up. My English teacher would have had a heyday with that red ink all over my paper saying run-on sentence, run-on sentence, run-on sentence, like try using some punctuation. Um, but this is kind of where Paul's at. Is he, I think he's so excited about what we can be, that we can be made new in Christ again, that it's just like he can't stop himself. And really that flows over into where we're going to continue in chapter 1, that he continues this praise that was all happening last week because the praise was that the blessings that we receive when we are adopted in as children. And so that was kind of what we talked about last week. And this week, that praise moves from praise, and it, he goes almost seamlessly right into prayer. And, and so he starts praying that the things that we've talked about that we not just leave them as knowledge, but we praise that we would put them into use and into action. So before we dive in, let's pray as well. 
God, I thank you that we get to hold your word in our hands, that we can grow from your word, that we can apply it to our lives, and that we can become more like you. God, I'm so grateful that you ask us to be a part of your plan, and I ask that you would just help us to grow and put it into action today. God, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1. We're starting in verse 15, and we're going to go through 23. We'll read all of it, and then we'll kind of see the main points of what I think Paul is really praying that we figure out. So we're going to be reading Ephesians chapter 1, 15. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the, wisdom, or the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I love that Paul starts this whole section by giving thanks. He gives thanks for the faithful followers. He, you see, he's heard of their reputation of how they've been living out their, their faith and their genuine faith. But he gives two reasons for it. He says, the first reason that I give thanks is that you, you've been faithful. You've been faithful in the Lord. So it's been about five years since Paul has been with the people of Ephesus. And he's He's hearing about the faithfulness that as he was there before and talked with them, their faithfulness has continued from that moment, and he's seeing it, or he's telling them about their thankfulness for that faithfulness now. But then he's also saying, because you show love toward all the saints. And really, as the big church, not just Journey Christian Church, but as we talk about the big C church, the worldwide church, we can often find things that we don't like about others that we cause divisions about, or we get hurt by someone and we disconnect ourselves. But we're seeing here that they had love toward all the saints. They were showing love to everyone. They were not holding grudges against each other. They were called to love, and they were showing that. John 13, 35 tells us it's, it's going to be how we're known as disciples. It says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This should be a mark of our Christian walk is that we love others. And Paul is saying here that it's obvious. You, you're a witness to the people around you. They know that you're Christ followers because of the example that you're setting by your faithfulness and that for your love for others. So he's giving this thankfulness to them for them living out their lives so well. So this is kind of, if we're sticking with this school thing, this is like the A plus way to go. Doing a great job. But then it's like, verse 16, he, he kind of seamlessly transitioned from that praise straight into prayer. And this is, yeah, he's, he's very excited about everything. He just seamlessly flows into it, which he tells us in Thessalonians, pray continually. That's kind of what he's doing here. It's just his thoughts go straight to prayer. And this whole passage, though, the overarching goal that Paul's laying out here is he wants God to use the Holy Spirit in us 
to give us wisdom and understanding. He wants us to understand in, in a complete and whole way. So he asks for our eyes of our hearts to be open. And really, this is kind of our worldview, how, how, how you view everything around you, kind of your lenses um, that, that you would be able to see as God sees, that you not be, have a prescription of worldly views, but be able to see clearly as God does. So he's asking that the Holy Spirit would help us in seeing and then it's written that we would be enlightened. And so we've moved into a new house, uh, finally, after months, right, that we've got settled into a house. But it's kind of like leaving the lights off in this new house that we're still learning to navigate. We still have boxes, places, and those boxes move occasionally as we attempt to put things away. But it's like trying to walk around the house at night with no lights on. Like, I'm going to trip over everything. I'm going to turn corners where I'm not supposed to and trip over things. But when I turn the lights on, it's easy to see. And God's asking that we would be enlightened, like the light switches turned on, that we could understand what's happening. And so this prayer is really for that lights on moment, for us to be awakened to the understanding. And then he points out three things. And these three things are really what I want to focus in on this morning, that we'd be able to understand. And this really, though, the goal is to know, to know and understand but I want to make sure that we understand that this, this knowing or this knowledge that we're gathering, it has to be more than just information. This is about a close-knit relationship with Jesus, where we are vulnerable with each other. We allow him into our lives, and we pour our lives out to him. I, I read in a, a commentary this week by Simon Austin. He said that knowledge that does not result in changed living leads only to pride and religious arrogance. So I think too often if, we gather, if we're just gathering knowledge, it's almost like we can add them to our quiver as some sort of like a, a religious arsenal to, to point back at people when that really doesn't benefit us or other people. We need to have these things applied to our lives so that we can live them out in a way that Paul thanks the Ephesians church for living it out. So this knowing requires time and communication like we would have with a good friend, that we, that we sit together and commune with God and spend time with him. So when we look at these three things, they're kind of marked by questions, that, a question that's kind of almost a statement in verses 18 and 19. So that's really, we're going to zoom in here and look at these two verses um, to see these three things that Paul wants us to know. The first thing he wants us to see is the hope to which Jesus calls you. And so we're going to see the hope that Jesus calls you. He said there, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now, this is, this is biblical hope. This is not wishful thinking, hoping that something will happen. This is, this is a future certainty because God has already promised. And so we know this to be true because he's promised. In 1 Peter 1.13, it, it, it says that, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're, we're supposed to put our hope, all of our attention and, and everything that we have toward this hope that we get through the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. So this hope that we have is that we are no longer bound to sin and the debt that we had because of our sin and the, that separation that we have from God because of the sin in our life that's between us. But instead, we have this grace and forgiveness that Jesus paid our debt, gives us the opportunity to be reunited with Jesus again, and we can have that life with him again in heaven. And so we have this hope. But also with that hope, we have this, this 
calling for us to all then reach out to others. Ephesians 4.4, which we'll end up studying in a couple weeks, says that there's one body, one spirit, and just as you were called with one hope that belongs to your calling. So we're called to this hope of future re, being future reunited with God again. So we're called to this hope also in the body of Christ. You see, there, there's, there's a unity that we have, all of us, as one body in Christ. And we get to work together. And with us being the body together, Jesus is the head. So when we look in, back at verses 22 and 23, it says that Jesus was put, he has put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus is the head of this body. We are the body of, of the church. And we look forward to the day when we get to be reunited again with Jesus. And Paul wants us to look forward to that day. Not just having this knowledge of the day, but actually having relationship with him. And he doesn't want us to miss the opportunities each and every day to grow in our love for Jesus and to show that love to the others around us. So we should live faithfully, like he was thankful for earlier, for our faithful living, but also for our love toward others. So Paul's prayer is that you as a believer would know with absolute certainty that God has called you to follow him and know the truths that he has set out in his promises. The second one that he, he moves on there in that same verse, it says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know the hope that he's called you. And the second thing is, and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So last week, we looked at, in, in verse 7, we talked about this great inheritance that we receive from God. So God kind of graciously and open-handedly gives us this amazing gift of being able to, to have heaven and this blessing that we have through Christ. And I think as I was reading this at first, I just kind of assumed this was a continuation of this inheritance that we continue to look forward to receiving. But then I looked and it, and it says that it's his inheritance in the saints. And that kind of made me stop and pause and go, what, what is this his inheritance about? Because this is God's inheritance. Paul is wanting us to understand how precious and valuable we are to God. Because we, as his saints and his inheritance, his people, we are his inheritance. He looks forward to the day that we get to be reunited with him. Like this kind of blew my mind a little bit as I'm sitting here studying this, thinking I always view the inheritance as what we get through heaven, not about what God is getting in us. So God has commissioned the church to fulfill his plan, that, that we labor alongside of him to help bring in this fruit for this harvest. We are his family. Last week we talked about being adopted in as sons and daughters, but as his sons and daughters, we bear his image. So, so we are to look the same, be an example of Christ. We live out the same characteristics as a child does its parents. And as God's children, we show his great love, and he's overjoyed. He is so thankful that we are his, and we in turn love him back. But to think back to, to that verse 11 and 7 here, we're looking at this inheritance. Maybe I think that it's easy for me and maybe this is where I need to change my worldview, my perspective of things, because it's easy for me to look at this and think somehow that my inheritance is heaven, which I think is pretty amazing and pretty awesome, and I'm, I look forward to the day when I get to be there and to sit with Christ. But then to think that his inheritance is us, me, I'm thinking, oh man, 
Like, I hope he's not let down, right? Like, I, I think somehow is God getting shortchanged here that I'm his inheritance? Like, is he really looking forward to that? But he is. We have to understand our value, and we need to just change our perspective that he really does value us, that the church is his beautiful bride, that he is waiting for the day that his bride gets to walk down to him and he gets to see us again so that we get to be his inheritance. So Paul's prayer for you is that you would understand just how much God loves you. He values you and cannot wait to see you again. Don't miss that. The third thing that we see then as we move on to verse 19 is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So this is, this is the enlightening that he wants us to understand. Paul goes and uses every synonym. I mean, he, he p- just packs these words on top of each other. He's using all the synonyms, stacking them up is to like help give us a, even a glimpse of the depth and the grandeur of God's power. And it might seem a little bit like overkill, but we need to understand how big and powerful God is. So he uses four words. He uses power, which is kind of the word that we get for dynamite, this, this, this great power. It's the same power um, that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. He holds that same power. He has this, this working energy that's stored up within him. He has this strength, this power to overcome resistance. But he also has this might. It's a bodily, muscular strength kind of word that's to show the power that God has within himself. So he kind of uses all of these great power, might words, and he stacks them all together to help us understand really how great God is. So I think it's awesome that we get to hold God's word in our hands. We can, we can have this in our hands. We can know his word. And then we can also look at the ways that we can see God's word and the way that his power has worked in the past. And we can see the way that God has worked in our lives, and we need to understand how great and powerful he is. See, God showed us the greatest example of love, and he showed that in sending Jesus as our sacrifice. And there's really nothing bigger that could be done to show love than sending Jesus for us. But he followed that up then with showing the greatest work of power to raise Jesus from the dead. He, He overcame sin and death and he raised Jesus from the dead. And so don't miss this little part, though, I guess, is that we can see this great power that was at work within raising Jesus from the dead. And then I look at what is that pointed at? It says that it's pointed toward those who believe. So Paul continues to tell us that this overcoming of sin and death, defeating death, he raised Jesus from the dead, lifted him on high, seated him at the right hand of God, and then it said he put below him all of the powers and, and really all of the, the, all the rulers and all of those things that it's talking about is like all of the other things that we may consider other religions may talk about as other gods. He's put above all those things. He's put beneath him the rulers of this world. And we might think that some of the rulers of the world may hold lots of power, but we have to remember that God is still above it all, that we don't need to fear, be dismayed. Jesus still sits on his throne and reigns on high. He placed Jesus as the headship of the church that we could be a part of this great group, the called out ones. And that brings hope that we can have in Jesus, that we get to be a part of the body of Christ. So showing God's power in Jesus, it's it's toward you. To have you put your peace and your trust and your hope 
in Jesus because he's going to carry out his promises. He, he values you and he looks forward to the day that we get to be reunited again as, as one body with him as the head. And then he wants to show us this great power of overcoming sin and death. So really this, to me, this, this has to turn a corner here that goes, now what do we do with this knowledge of the hope that we have to understand his promises are true, that we get to look forward to be reunited with him and the power that Jesus holds. What, what do we do with that? Because if we let it sit as knowledge, it's not really worth a whole lot. It's kind of like that state-of-the-art sprinkler system that's sitting there but unusable. What, what are we going to do to put this into work and apply it to our own lives? I know Dave mentioned this last week, and I want to say the same again. Be reading through the book of Ephesians. As we continue to study this through, read a chapter a day. Read the whole thing in, in, in a day. We can sit, sit and read it in one reading to understand the whole idea of what it is. But allow God's Word to read into your life, to your heart. Ask God to allow these things to penetrate your heart, to be able to understand what really is happening here. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to have wisdom, to understand. That's what this whole section is about, is for us to understand but understand it in a way that is life-changing. Apply these truths to your life so that you can know the hope that God calls you to. You can understand your value as being a part of God's inheritance, but that you can also understand the greatness and the power that he has. And he's using that greatness and that power toward you to save you, to help you be a part of that masterpiece plan that he's having. So let us understand all these things, the truths that we have, strengthen our faith, to love other people the same way that Paul thanked or gave thanks for the Ephesian church, so that maybe five years from now we can look back at where we've stood five years from now when we can be thankful for the way that we've been faithful, the way that we have loved others around us, loving the other saints well. So I want to encourage you to do two things that go along with that thankfulness. How can you take time this week to grow in your love and your faithfulness to Christ. Find a practical way that at the end of the week you can check it off and say, I'm growing in my faithfulness toward Christ. The second part is to how can you love the saints around you this week? Like allow this to be something practical that you don't just say, I came to church, check mark, but say, I'm going to purposely, intentionally go out and show love to the saints around me this week. And what an amazing thing it would be at the end of our week even to see the encouragement that's just within our church and how we can learn and grow because we've allowed God's word to penetrate our hearts and to change our own lives. So allow God to continue to work in your life so that you can be this masterpiece in progress as well. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the time that we get to spend in your word. And God, I'm so grateful for Paul's encouragement here that it reminds us of the hope that we have in you. And God, help us to, to bind ourselves together, to be faithful in our work toward you, and look forward to the day that we get to be reunited with you again someday. God, help us to live out our lives in a way that really shows other people around us the hope that we have, so that they could have the same hope too. God, we thank you, we love you, and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?